There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Life is good in Los Angeles. It's paradise on earth. <laughs> That's what they tell you anyway. Welcome to episode 17 of AI Movie Night. I'm your host, Joe Simpson, and tonight I'm joined by two great guests to discuss the classic that is LA Confidential. Firstly, I'm joined by the host of the excellent AI Analytics pod, Dan Kennett. How are you doing, Dan? I'm great, mate. Really looking forward to doing this, Joe. Oh. Big fan of this film. Oh, thanks, mate. And uh, thanks for the suggestion. I know you love the film, so I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts, mate. Thank you. I'm also lucky enough to be joined by Carl Kopach, journalist and author. How are you doing, Carl? You're all right, mate. Not bad. I can help you with the surname if that makes things any easier for you. <laughs> I definitely know how to pronounce it. <laughs> next time, mate. Next time. Yeah, we'll get there. Oh, oh well, thanks for joining me both here. Um, obviously, there's so much to talk about. It's you know, there's so much in this film, so I won't delay. I'll get straight into it, and I'll start by. Obviously, it's based on a, a really famous novel, uh, well-respected. I'll start by getting getting your views on if you've read that novel or any of the other work of James Elroy, um, what your thoughts of it, um, what you think so many people enjoy about his work. So I'll start with you, please, Dan, on that. Yeah, he's, if, you, if you're talking about modern crime fiction, he's right near the top of the tree. Um and you know crime noir uh, as well. Uh, he's he, one of the things that there's two there's two things that really are stand out about his work. Firstly, is it's very difficult to think of anybody else who layers plot as much as he does. There's so it's like a spider's web upon spider's web of plot, um, and, that, and you know that's and that it can be hard to follow at times. But you know it, it's completely immersive in that respect. And the other thing about him is the style of it, the way he writes, the, 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 the prose that he uses. It's like a machine gun, uh, really short staccato sentences. Um, and it, it's, it's just something that he's, is, is, he, he's repeated in so much of his work. Um, I, the, the, I think there's debate about how it actually first started and we first came that style, but apparently it was when his editor asked him to 
reduce the content of a book by a third, and he didn't take out any of the plot. He just reduced all. He, he just removed all the conjoining words from sentences. Oh, I like to, that. To get the word, to get the word count down. I like that. <laughs> so anyway, but it, 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 when this film won a couple of Oscars, right? And one of the ones it won the Oscar for was was best screenplay. And I think when you've got such a great body of work to base it on great novel i think it's you know the, but then saying that it's pretty easy to make a bad screenplay from a great book and even then you can, you can even if you've got a good screenplay you can still make a bad film because one of uh james elroy's other novels which uh in the same series of as, as la confidential was the black dahlia and i i have to say that was pretty ropey I, you know the black dahlia was I, 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 you know whatever reason that one didn't translate but this one most definitely did yeah, it's, it's a, I think you make a really good point there. I, I haven't read the book, so I do, do want to read them, and particularly after hearing what you said there, but it's fascinating, as you say, so many great novels, they haven't translated to the film, and I think a few people have commented that part of what was so, so great about this was they didn't try and get everything in because it had just been impossible. I think there's, you'll know way better than me, but I think in the novel there's like a, an insane amount of characters, you know, and, and yeah. so much complexity as you touched on before. So, I think but even this though has got oh, lots yeah. of lots of minor, even there's there's a lot of minor characters totally. and there's a lot of plot lines in it. They still managed to get a lot in. Yeah. And I, th- I think just in terms of um, James Elroy's style, I think the reason why one reason why this film really works is the way that they use. Danny DeVito was the narrator, mm-hmm. if you like. You know, yeah. he's he's the editor of the Hush Hush magazine, which is like the you know equivalent of Private Eye, I guess, in the 1950s Los Angeles. And he 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 narrates, and he also t- he tells you some of the plot, and he also helps get over the um the the, the, the overall flavour and the essence of the book. And I think that that kind of thing where he 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 had that periodically throughout the film, obviously at the start, and then there's like two or three sequences where they give you all the background information throughout the film and I, th- I think that that helps you get a lot of you know in a little in a little digest about putting a load of strands together which 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 they didn't really other, other cover elsewhere in the film so that that idea of, of using devito as a narrator really really works plus we all like a voiceover don't we yeah oh definitely Every, everyone likes a voiceover because it's basically are you, are you, is everyone a bit behind on this story here's danny devito to talk you through it and that yeah, really uh, helps yes. i think at times I think it's a really hard thing to do in a way where you don't feel that's happening. And I didn't feel that was happening. Obviously, credit to him, and I know we'll touch on, on his performance in the script. I didn't really feel that happening, whereas sometimes it can happen and you feel like you may be being spoon-fed, but I never felt that at all on this. It just worked perfectly and, uh, you know, as you both said, helped to, helped to move it on in a really uh, really good way. What about yourself, Carl? Have you have you read any of the books? No, or? I haven't. No, um, and I've never read Elmore Leonard either. And I, they're, they're sort of two writers who I think I, I can't believe I haven't got around to reading them yet because it sounds like my style. I really like that sort mm-hmm. of writing. Um, I don't know if either of you have read. Um, is it Jim Thompson, The Killer Inside Me? I haven't. It's no. a similar sort of. Th- it's a similar sort of. Uh, that's more about serial killer, but it's very nineteen fifties. Um, pulls out any act- adjectives whatsoever, all written in the first person. And it's so stark, the writing. Um, and it's just, it's brutal from start to finish to say it was written so long ago. And, and I felt, my imagination, what I always thought James Elroy would be was, was a similar style to that, really, where just sort of, it's just story, 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 story. And there's nothing showy whatsoever. But it's showy in as much as there's so much going on that 
you, I kept forgetting who Buzz Meeks was. Um, and I was confidential, <laughs> and I thought, oh, oh, yeah, God, yeah, him, yeah. And Dick Stensland, you know, you think Dick, Dick Stensland is basically when he's killed in the night owl, you think, well, that's the end of him. No, he's in the final scene pretty much as well, because it all begins because of him. And, and I really like stuff like that, where you can manage to forget entire big passages of it. And and I thought, yeah, that's the, that's something I want to read. And I still, the thing is, I've been saying it for 20 years, I still haven't read him. Maybe I will now. <laughs> same, same, same here. And it's sometimes good to have, you know, some of these classics, you know, still to read because, you know, you've got great, obviously there's, there's a hell of a lot of great stuff out there, but it's nice to know that's, you know, something you've got in, in, you know, in the future to read such great work. I'm now going to uh, dive straight into the film itself. And I'll start with my usual question uh, to yourself, firstly, Carl, about it. Uh, can you remember when and where you first saw it and what you thought of it at the time? Saw it when it came, saw it when it came out um, pretty early on. Um, I like I like this, I like style stylistic films. Really, I love mm-hmm. the fact that you know it, it's a period piece, and um, I love the voiceovers. So I, I was just hooked by the by the trailer straight away. Um, and they weren't. I know we're going to talk about them, but they weren't really massive actors. That, not, that's my memory anyway. Because yeah. um, obviously um, Guy Pearce had once shared the screen with Bouncer the Dog. <laughs> um, and um, I only knew Russell Crowe from Romper Stomper, which I thought was more controversial than good. But um, there was just something about it. I just thought, you know, this it just looked... To be honest, the poster looks good as well. The poster looks really, really good. I thought, yeah, that's a, that looks an interesting film. Yeah. That's mainly to do with Kim Passenger. That was pretty much predominantly it, yeah. Um, <laughs> is it 97, this film? Yeah. So, um, yeah. Just yes, for anyone listening, uh, what what was the poster? I can't even remember it myself, to be honest. Lots of Kim Basinger. <laughs> oh, I yeah, see. Kim Basinger was pretty much the whole left hand side of the poster, <laughs> yeah. and all the others were le- all the layered out, all the characters. I, yeah. I wasn't aware that there was a right hand side of the poster, to be honest. <laughs> um, but yeah, it just looked good. It, I just love the fact that it, it's um, it must have piqued my interest in, in some ways because I just thought you know that that just looks like my my type of film. Just real, I love sort of like film noir and stuff like that, like Double Indemnity and things like that. Just, that that just looks like mm. a throwback to that, really. Yeah, I, I, I had similar thoughts to yourself on that, and it, it similarly attracted me in the same way. I think, I don't know whether, again, obviously memory often plays tricks, doesn't it? But I think that prob- obviously there is a golden age for these type of films, and I think I half expect this to, to be a letdown. And then when it was you know, such high quality right the way through, I, I, I was just delighted because I think... You know, it was a throwback to that era, but obviously with a fresh take mixed in as well. So it sort of ticked every box for me. I really enjoyed it, obviously, and still do. What about yourself, Dan? Yeah, well, it's, it's, I was trying to think about this, um, and I, I think that um, my first memory of it was actually watching Barry Norman on Film 97 mm-hmm. be absolutely gushing about this film. And then I thought, well, on that, and I think I also put... I don't know if Peter Bradshaw was the Guardian film correspondent at the time. He might well have been. He's been there that long. But I think he was similarly um, complimentary about it as well. And I thought, well, you know, if these guys are saying this, this is this good, uh, then I'm, I'm definitely going to go and see this because I know because they'll give you the few clips, didn't they, on, on, on film 97 and, and then they'll give an overview of the film and, and the strengths and weaknesses and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I think it was I, I definitely recall. Um, watching Barry Norman be very, very complimentary. Yeah, it's an ensemble cast as well, which I think helps. Yeah, there's, there's mm. no big star; they're all brilliant in it. I mean, like James Cromwell's probably like fifth down on the list, and he's absolutely amazing in it. Yeah, 
Yeah, <laughs> couldn't agree more. Uh, you, yeah. You're right, and I think you both touched on it. The cast is is absolutely fantastic, and I always think it's nice. Like uh, one of you has mentioned before, I think it was you, Carl, about it. You know, the 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 two main characters were were relative unknowns, and yeah. I, I I love that, and I think he, he I think. Uh, Curtis Hansen said he wanted, he said it reminded of when he read the book, he wanted the people watching to discover these characters in the same way he had, whereas obviously if you get movie stars, people come in with, you know, preconceptions and things like that, and I think, um, you know, it was a really good idea, and, and really brave, you know, two Australian relative unknowns in a big film like that. I think I, I was reading something where the producer, who, who's obviously a uh, one of the main backers of the film, when he was getting told about these things, you know, who was going to be playing, you know, the two main characters. And he was like, you know, who's the star of it? Tell me we've got a star yeah. in this, but obviously he brought in, uh, you know, the likes of Spacey and, and Bassinger as well. And, you know, the other people you've mentioned. So no, it, it is a really nice blend. Danny DeVito, massive name at the time. Oh yeah, mm. totally. totally. Absolutely massive name. Yeah. So just the, uh, stays um, hardly in it as well. Oh, totally. And so the, um, I think, I think um, uh, in terms of the cast, I think, like you said, the, t- the fact that um, Russell Crowe, it was, a, it was a breakthrough film for, for Guy Pearce and, mm-hmm. and Russell Crowe. I mean, um, Carl's already mentioned Romper Stomper. That was pretty much his uh, breakthrough. But that was very, it wasn't, a, it wasn't an American film, really, or that, you know, breakthrough Hollywood yeah. film. And the same with Guy Pearce. The only thing he'd been in was Priscilla, Queen yeah. of the Desert, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, you know which, was, which is a very niche, uh, should we say, yeah. at least, <laughs> the best. Um, <laughs> But you know the biggest star by a long way was Ke- was Kevin Spacey because he had done the usual suspects at this point, yeah. and Kim Basinger hadn't. But had, Kim Basinger hadn't made a film for about five years because she'd just come out of um, um she was what uh, well him and her and the Bald Witch Baldwin. Oh. I, I can't remember which Alex, Alex was it. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, I mean you know talk about Brangelina before Brange- mm-hmm. before Brangelina there was um, Kim and uh, Alec. Yeah. You know back in the late eighties wasn't there and she went off and had a family and. And then this was her first film for about five years. She did Batman, didn't yeah. she? Which I thought, oh, okay. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. With my, uh, yeah, yeah she's, yeah, 89. She's gone from sort of acting to sort of just put me in the film and it'll make money. That, <laughs> yeah, that was 89, Batman, and this yeah. was 97, so. Yeah. Just, yeah, I think you're right. She'd gone off the radar, hadn't she? And, you know, family and obviously a divorce and that. And this was like, you know, a big, as you say, almost a comeback for her in a way. Definitely this calibre of film. I think she was saying, you know, you don't often get this calibre of script for, for a Hollywood film. And, and, you know, with, as we've touched on, every character, you know, every single actor who will have read them roles will have thought this is a great part. And you don't normally get, you know, those type of scripts. And obviously she, 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 it, as soon as she said, as soon as she read it, she wanted to do it. And uh, obviously that's reflected in the performance, how good she was. We're going to look a bit more at the film, why it's why it was regarded, as you touched on before, Dan, as like an instant classic by the likes of Barry Norman, and it's still on many people's best film list. Can you tell me, I know you touched on some things, can you tell me some more things about why you think it's regarded so highly, Dan? I think to the, the, the way that they use the narrator, I think, was absolutely key. But the other thing we've just started to touch on is the, is the breadth of the cast mm-hmm. and the number of characters that are in there. And then, like, uh, you've got... We haven't even mentioned David Strathairn, for example. Yeah, um, brilliant. Uh, and, and this was his breakthrough film as well, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it took him a long time to become a leading man. You know, like, he, you know, I think it was Good Night and Good Luck was probably his first leading man role. But this was this was definitely his, his, his breakthrough. Um, 
so you, you've got you, you you had these two guys, uh, Guy Pearce and um, Russell Crowe, who went on to become genuine megastars, and this was the starting point for them. And um, so you had that you had you had that aspect to it. You had the brilliant story. You had a, you, I think this is, you could definitely say this is Curtis Hansen as the director. This is his career highlight yeah. as well. Um, you, you had the you had the look and feel of the, of, of, of the 1950s LA, which it just looks so effortlessly cool all the time. Yeah. Um, you had the, and, you, and you had the fantastic story for, and, 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 the, and the brilliant screenplay, and then you had the, and you had the glamour with with the likes of Kim Basinger. It's just an absolute gem of a movie. And violence. And violence, yeah, lots of rain violence. and violence. That's what this film is. <laughs> yes, uh, well, and good contrasting characters as well. Oh, totally. Really. You've got some cliched cop roles, haven't you, Carl, in the film, definitely. Stensgard. Stensgard was the Liverpool goalkeeper in the early days. Um, Michael Stensgard played in it now. Um, Stensland. Yeah. Stens, I'm going to call it from now on. Yeah, and then you got the guy that he was a bit walk on the wild side, and then he discovers a conscience, you know, which is um, um, Kevin Spacey's character. And then you got by the book, the internal affairs type guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we can come on to all that. Totally. Ambition, ambition, ambition. Yes. Uh, what, what, what about yourself, Carl? What, what, what was it that you, what do you think made it such a classic and so, so highly regarded? It looks beautiful. Yeah. It's a beautiful looking film. And um, I, I, it's the period. I, I just really like that sort of period. Everyone, everyone wears hats. And uh, although I don't think yes. anyone does, not that? Something else I, I really like about it as well. Um, uh, I think I've got this right. At the beginning of the film, they type the name of the character before they show you what they like. So, you know, when Bud's walking up, um, it goes to the uh, the violent um, husband's house and pulls off yeah. the Christmas decorations. It puts his name up in freeze frame before he starts doing it. In a sort of, this is bored, he violence everyone. And then it goes to actually, <laughs> and he's just like watching, you know, he's being, he's being interviewed, isn't he, at the police station because he's, he's the night commander. And I really like things like that. It's just sort of like, you know, we're not messing about. We're going to go straight in and we're just going to leap in. Here's the exposition for you. That's what these people are like. And I, I just love the fact that it's such an immediate film. Straight away, you're thrown into it. And, you know, they, they, he's, he's not subtle with, with throwing out, you know, exactly who these people are. For example, there's a line I really like when he goes to the, it's probably not called the off-license over there, I know, but... And, uh, <laughs> the liquor store. Yeah, the, the, yeah, where, where, where Kim Bassett just says something like, to him, like, sort of, you know, um, good night, officer. And he says, um, oh, is it that obvious? It's just written all over your face. I just think that's brilliant straight away. Oh, yeah. You know what she's like, you know what he's like. And it, it's, it's just the pure immediacy of it. Yeah, I, I, I would say that. that, that, that you, Carl's absolutely right. The first four scenes, you got first of all, you got the narration scene with Danny DeVito giving you the whole background about the, the time and what's going on, and then the next three scenes, you got one one for White, one for Exley, and one for Vincennes, all giving the background and a bit of a character information about them, and then before you even get into the start of the actual story, if you like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's 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 really interestingly idea that I just having those four four scenes just to introduce you to it really in depth to each to each character before you even guess get into it and by the time you finish that fourth scene you've forgotten who mickey cohen is yes <laughs> which, yeah, is, yeah. Uh, which is and you know he is basically even though he's not in it you know he's basically the film everything yeah, is because yeah. of him but you know it's 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 a really good writer who can do that i'm going to give you this massive massive hint but i'm going to make you forget about it as soon as possibly can mm. until he jumps in again they do the same thing with pierce pageants actually later on as well yeah, but he's suddenly dead big and then suddenly he's not in it again for ages. Yeah, you're right. 
Right, it's it's really good storytelling to do that. And yeah. fun, funnily enough, uh, wish I could do I think, it. Ah, oh, don't we all? It'd be amazing, <laughs> wouldn't it? Um, it's it's. I think uh, one of the other things you've both touched on is it's got a big big thing. I think Kim Basson just said in in all of it is the key words like facade and as well as like that sort of you know going beneath the veneer of you know LA being this paradise and seeing you know. The, the, the depths and the crime and the double crossing and the grind beneath that. It's also like that with a lot of the characters. You know, a lot of the characters will be painted one way uh, on first view and, and then when you see a bit more of them, you get to see the other side of them and obviously the contrast between within them and within with the other characters as well. With every character, every character goes yeah. on a, does yeah. an arc, backwards yeah. or forwards, or, you know, better or worse. Totally, totally, and and it's funny you touched on 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 one of the things you mentioned it, and and you called it yourself hats. That was one of the things he said. He tried to restrict hats. A lot of the things he was doing was like sort of a, a homage to those films, but also yeah. different things. So he had less hats. And another one, it's, it's still a hat film, film though. Oh yeah, no, I know what you mean. It's and definitely exactly a hat film. Meant. It's Dudley's guy, Dudley and Dudley's oh, guys wear the hats. Yeah, maybe. yeah, yeah, you're right. And uh, also about like uh, how it looks. Most film noirs obviously uh, are really dark, but most of this is in the bright California sunshine. Yeah. And I think that sort of makes the 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 grime and the the things beneath that veneer even more powerful because it's like it may look amazing. <laughs> it you know that bit isn't a lie. It genuinely does look amazing. Some of the other things are a lie, but this place does look amazing. But if you just go beyond that, it all these things are still happening. I really love that. But obviously we've got so much more to discuss. So I'm going to move. I was going to say we've done twenty minutes on the first five minutes. Oh, That's how good this film is. It is. It is. And and, and you know, and I'm glad we've done that because so, you know. Everybody will have similar thoughts, I imagine, yeah. to ourselves. You, you're just amazed in it, aren't you? I'm now going to look at some of the characters and the performances. Yeah, I'm going to start with uh, Bud White and obviously Russell Crowe's performance. What were your thoughts on, on that, Carl? I, I loved the, the, as I say, I really like that first scene because it's, it's, it's funny as well as violent. Um, I like it when he calls the, the station and he says, he says something like, um, I won't be here, but you'll find him. Before he's even beaten the bloke up and you know handcuffed him to the to the rail, um, it, it's more it, because I was used to seeing him in because I was used to romper stomper. I just thought, is he just going to play the thug role? But you can tell straight away that that he's got a problem with um, uh, well, there's there's an issue within him of men beating up women, and I think that comes out really really early. And I thought that's it's very very subtly done, and I think he's really good in it to be honest because he, he could play that just so thuggish. But there's always something behind the eyes where he stops and thinks because he is all gut. There's a bit later on in the film where I think this is physically impossible. Where he, um, oh yeah, it's, it's during the uh, when the, um, the they're interviewing the um, the suspects for the night owl, and he's leaning against um, he's oh, leaning yeah. against the chair, and he suddenly he suddenly manages to snap the chair in his hand with, uh, in half with his fingers. I don't yeah, think like matchwood. I don't think yeah, exactly. I don't think he actually do that, but. Uh, um, <laughs> That still annoys me a bit. That's when I see that. It's actually physically. We're meant to will the suspension of disbelief, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. But it's that sort of like. He's really good at the sort of the slow boil, and you can see it behind yeah. his eyes. He's he's so good at doing that. Um, I actually really like Russell Crowe to be honest, despite the fact that you know he's been in some pretty average films. I think, uh, and the, and again, we've seen this before before we started the podcast. But um, every now and then he does play Russell Crowe, 
rather than a character, I think. But he's he's so good in this just because he's he's all he's all gut and he's but he's trying to be compassionate at the same time. It's a very very difficult thing to do. And um, it's amazing casting to say he wasn't really famous at the time as well. It's very there's a lot of trust placed in him to play that role. So it's like um, at the start you think oh he's just a he's just the muscle guy he's just a caveman yeah. with a conscience because then you find out that it's because his dad beat his mother to death yeah. in front of him and that's why he's compassionate to you know he's brutal on on, on women beaters yeah. um, but then as the film goes on you realise that he's actually in, in the de- in the detective bureau for a reason because he actually is a pretty smart guy yeah uh, and one of the things is that you the other people in the film the other main characters all underestimate his intelligence they just think oh he's just a caveman yeah. um, he's, he's too but, smart that's that's the, that's what they don't see that's where that's where the film changes yeah so uh, yeah and then all the characters like I said they arc back on each other but you know Russell Crowe definitely wouldn't have got um, Gladiator without this absolutely no way. Um, because the gladiator was it was was Bud White on steroids, wasn't yes. it? <laughs> yeah, with a sword. You know, yeah, 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 with a sword. But there's uh, there's there's some fa- there's some fantastic scenes though. Um, not least when um, uh, Exley confronts him in the street after they he, he's 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 covered up her when they rescue the Mexican girl yeah. um, the rape victim, and then they just uh, and then Pierce and White have. Um, I'm mixing the actors and <laughs> it's Pierce and Crow at that confrontation in the street, and he has to be restrained by half of the LAPD restraining him back to keep him keep him away. <laughs> and, and and you believe it, don't you? When you're watching it, you believe he's that strong, don't you? But you, you know, it, yeah. it, it, it's it's so impressive his performance that you believe he's like this, you know, this beast really, this you know almost a force of nature at times. But I agree with you both. The beauty of it is that he. He also shows this intelligence and and also uh, a really nice self awareness of the fact that other people are underestimating him, and you know, and obviously that's another one of his problems that that feeling of like you know he's he's been pigeonholed as as the muscle. Uh, so I read a, a fascinating thing as well about uh, his performance. Obviously, you never know if these things work or whether it's just for the the actor's own psychology or maybe even that works in itself but obviously I think in the book Dan had known much better than me but I think the Bud White character was meant to be like a, a real hulking character wasn't he Dan? Real, real yeah, he, he, yeah I think he was also a little bit um, um, uh, should we say more prepared to break the law I see. Uh, as well than it doesn't really I think he was definitely uh um, both sides of the tracks, if you know what I mean, on, in, in terms of legality yeah, in the novel. He does have moments of that in the film, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, he, he's just a fantastic uh, fantastic character and a great performance. Oh, totally. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, with, with him meant to be so big in the book, and obviously Russell Crowe, I think he's about 5'11", so he hasn't really got that, that physicality. Apparently Russell Crowe lived in, like, a house and had the doorways and things made smaller to make him, yeah. yeah, to make him feel like he was a bigger man and that that would come across. Now, who knows if it was just his natural acting talent or what, but I love little stories like that about trying to, you know, affect your performance and things and, you know, just uh, love that performance and love stories like that. Obviously, the other main character is, obviously, there's so many, but the two key characters really is... Uh, Ed Exley, played by Guy Pearce. What were your thoughts on that character and that performance, Dan? Um, absolutely marvellous. Yeah. It, 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 it really is. For some guy who'd just been Mike from Neighbours and then um, 
<laughs> Priscilla, Queen <laughs> of the Desert. Um, although, to be honest, um, after, here's, a, here's a little guy Pierce anecdote, is after he finished um, uh, Neighbours, he actually lived in Old Swan for a bit. You're joking. He, nope, he lived, off, he lived off one of the roads off Old Swan, and my missus, um, one of her friends, um, knew was uh, sort of friendly with, with him at, oh, the, really? at the time, oh, back in the that. late 80s. Oh, really? <laughs> no. Yeah. Not many people... He must have been in the Liverpool Playhouse or something at the time. Anyway, who knows? But uh, anyway. No, Joe, this falls um, in like, one of your categories. Joe's trying to find a scouse from every single film he did. <laughs> we did, because we got one in Goodfellas, didn't we? We, we did. We did. The comedian. I, I was just every thinking, woman. I wonder if Guy Pearce and Big Ron ever met in all sorts. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, for the purposes of that, we're going to claim Guy Pearce as a scouse. Good enough, yeah, like that. but yeah um, I mean just just in terms of the character as well another cop cliche film here he's like um, he's like the bookish type the super intelligent um, he's even got glasses career man yeah Um, and you know the kind of one he's more interested in taking down other cops than 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 busting criminals, um, but thing is, he what he believes in justice, yeah. but he only wants justice by the book. He doesn't want to bend the rules. He doesn't want to break the rules. He just what he wants. And the thing is, with him, the switchery with him is that as the film goes on, he then becomes respected for his, if you like, physical exploits, mm-hmm. and you know, you know, becomes known as Shotgun Ed after one of the scenes where. He, 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 you know, he, he hunts down the escaped suspects and you know takes them all out in their apartment with a shotgun. It's fantastic, you know. And so he's trying to bend the cliches at the same time, um, and he becomes respected more because of his because of his physical exploits. And then he's always, but he's always got the brains to go with it at, in, at the same time. But he, he, it's again it, the perfect. It's yin and yang. Actually, in white, yin and yang. It, that, it's perfectly described that as well in, in the scene where. Um uh, where Dudley says to him, "Would you sh- would you be- beat a confession out of a you know uh, you know out of a prisoner? Would you shoot somebody in the back um, if Plant you have evidence?" Be able to? And the fact that he says no, and there's a scene I really like, uh, which I think we're going to come to, Joe, is um, is when they're after the, after bloody Christmas when they're saying like you know what are you going to give them all up? And he says, "Yes, of course I am." These people you know threaten them with with jail time, you know, mm-hmm. get rid of stencil and get get rid of um, Bud White. And he's and um and Dudley says, you know, Stenland's a disgrace, but Bud White has some um, ha, you know, there is worth in him. Uh, and he says, what worth that? And he says he he answers yes to some of those questions that I ask you from time to time. And they basically both cross over. Yeah. They um you know so Bud's more saying no to some of those questions and and actually goes the other way. But again, it's all it's it's so controlled the way he does it. And yeah. um and I love the fact that it's all built up into a pair of glasses. <laughs> I, I don't know a single man on the force who wears them. I, I, love, I just love that sort of thing. And then he takes them off, and then he goes out to do one of the. Um, the he hunts them down with a shotgun without his glasses on, yeah. and he realises he can't. Because <laughs> yeah. he's taken them off. Imagine how sick you'd be in that life or death situation to realise you haven't got your glasses no more. Yeah. Oh. But he still handles it. It's just, just such an impressive character, as you said there. Um, I, I love that sort of. as well, despite. Exley being, you know, phenomenally intelligent and sharp, as we've touched on earlier on. Bud White is really intelligent too. And I don't think I could be wrong here, but I don't think Bud White underestimates Exley, at least not, not in the same way that Exley underestimates Bud White. And I thought no, that was a nice him. thing. He disgusts him, but, he, you know, but there's yeah. a, a tiny respect in there too. Yeah. 
Yeah, whereas Exley actually does think he is just a thug. That's the one part where he's not initially not as sharp as he normally is, because Bud White obviously has got a lot of intelligence himself. There's yeah. a crossover scene there. There's one big moment where they realise that they're both okay. Yeah. And uh, and I forgot which actor is it Lana Turner? But, yeah. Is it, yeah, when he goes in and says, you know, you know, you, you pretending to be Lana Turner, and he just quote says that is Lana Turner. And there's oh. there's, a, there's a lovely when they stand outside. And and actually he's furious with himself, and he's he's all, and he he just looks at Bud White and he just laughs, and that's the moment he's thinking, oh, these two are they're going to get on now, oh, and that's where everything sort of starts from, really. That's the big crossover thing. Yeah, and then you can see the journey from with Exley um, becoming respected for his for his physical exploits yeah. um, is, is is in the film's denouement at the end, where they're holed up in the um, the motel, yeah, and um, you know, Exley and Exley and White work together, you know, and you know. With limited, you know, surrounded on all sides, and like the OK Corral or whatever. Um, but White and him, and you know, White respects Exley's ability to do his job there because yeah. at the start of the film, you thought that last, there's no way that's ever going to happen. Yeah. yeah, great, great point, great point. Now going to come to the, the probably you know the the third the third main character of the film and another you know very interesting one, Jack Vincennes, played by Kevin Spacey. What did you think of that character and that performance, Carl? The big V. I wish I'd seen Badge of Honor. Oh. Really wish I'd seen Badge of Honor. <laughs> I think it was Dragnet, exactly. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. He must have just called it Dragnet. Don't bother even disguising that as Dragnet. He's really good at that, Kevin Spacey, doesn't he? That sort of, uh, I'm oh. very, very slick, and but there's something slightly wrong in my life that I can't quite put my finger on. He's really good at that sort of, and he, he looks Hollywood as well. And you know he's, he's, he's very sort of yeah he's he's um, slightly above everyone else. They all like him, but you can just tell he just fancies himself just a little bit too much. And Spacey's really good at that sort of you know little smile to himself before he speaks. Um, do you remember that thing in? Um, do you remember the trip, the um, Rob Brydon Steve Coogan thing? And they're yeah. talking about Richard Gere, and Richard Gere's got this thing. If you ask him a question in a film, he looks to one side like he's remembering something, chuckles, and then goes back and answers oh. the question. Um, Spacey does that a lot as well, and he's in this film, but it's really good in this film. Where you can, where you can just see his mind whirring and thinking, um, you know, it, 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 again, it's the ambition thing. You know, so for example, when um, he gives up Stenson, doesn't he? Um, because they threaten to take him off yeah. badge of honor, and um, you can see just in his face where he's just thinking, uh, this is going to make me very, very unpopular, but I'm quite popular enough so I can get past this. And he just he just says, okay, I'll do it like that. Straight away, and it's, it's a really interesting character because he's liked, even though he's done exactly the same thing that Exley's done, but they let him off because he's the big V. It's a really, really good performance to, to get that across. Yeah, I think he was described as a, as a as a movie star on the force, and yeah, I think I think that's yeah. as you say, that's part of why he gets off, but also because he's so calculating and he knows how to exactly what what he can get away with doing while still not being. You know, painted as the ultimate bad guy. What and about yourself, Dan? Oh, sorry, Carl. He's he's this. He's my favourite character in the whole film. Um, I I just absolutely love Jack Vincennes. It's just like you said, this the celebrity, and I love the way his wardrobe is better than everybody else. By a mile, by an absolute <laughs> mile. The, the quality of his jackets are absolutely outstanding. Um, so, but you know, that, that's just it. And the, the Spacey's goes through the full. You know, when when he gets when he gets killed, or we have to give spoilers. Or I've just asked, sorry. When <laughs> yeah. he gets killed, the death scene when he, he actually the, the way he changes his face Little as smile. he's dying. Yeah. Oh my word! I mean, 
the, the power he's got over his oh, anyway, magnificent. The um, I can't wait to talk about that scene. By the way, <laughs> oh yeah, can't wait. <laughs> the, the, th- the other thing which is fantastic about him is because he's the glitzy, he's the advisor on the um, the Badge of Honor show, but they don't actually know that at the start of the, of the film, his, his superiors, is the relationship with um, Sid Hutchins, um, who who basically runs the Scam magazine. He wants to expose... It's a bit like the, the Onion, except in real life, and cross between The Onion and Private Eye. And, um, Max Hastings. I always think there's a bit of Max Hastings in there as well. Oh, no, right, Max Clifford, yeah. Max Clifford, sorry. Max man. Clifford, yeah, 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 kind of, yeah. A little, little bit sort of, uh, you know, we can protect these people by exploiting them as much as possible. Yes. He's in jail, and, so and, I can say know, that now. <laughs> so, so he'll find out about some illegal activity that's going on in Hollywood with some B-list movie stars, and he'll get Jack Vincennes to come out and arrest them, and they'll pose for a photo in front of the Hollywood sign and whatever, just to, to, to get it. And he, he gets his pay off, and he's work. There's loads of stuff under the table, so he's a little bit shady. He's a little bit celebrity. You're thinking he's mo- he's far more bothered about being a celebrity than he is about being and, a policeman. He stopped, he stopped being a policeman, and he realises yes. that. Yes, yeah. um, and then his switcheroo is that he finds his conscience. Yeah, and um, and then there's an amazing scene where he's talking to Guy Pearce. Uh, about why they behave policemen, and then Pierce gives this fantastic monologue about his his rationale for being a policeman and his ambition, and he asks Spacey, and he just says, "I don't remember." Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> so, but it's it's like everybody in the everybody in the station and all the forces just know him as a, and he goes to see, just know him as a celebrity rather than the police. They love him. Because, they absolutely love him. Yeah. Okay. He goes to see, he goes to see the coroner one time and he's walking down the stairs and the coroner just turns around and says, just the facts, Jack, just the facts. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I just, it's an absolutely marvelous to- performance. Totally agree. Totally agree. And, you know, obviously he doesn't get as much screen time as, as, as the other two, uh, but it, He's so memorable. Every bit of the film he's in. You smile when he walks on. Oh, totally. You totally. smile every time you see him on the screen. This is going to be. It's going to be funny. And it's going to be clever. And and just the little looks he gives, and just yeah, just just so good. And and I love that again. It's I know it's a theme, but it is great the way you see. For, for in in a way, you could look at it and say, he appears to have it all. You know, he's he, he you know. He's got this sort of role where he gets a lot of the fame and, you know, he, he's, he's in that Hollywood world to a certain extent. And, you know, he's got the, the people worshipping him on the force and also actors and actresses want to be close to him and get to know him. But then as the film goes on, you see beneath that veneer the sort of guilt and self-loathing. And it's just it's just a great character and, and a brilliant yeah. performance to, to, to pull it off. It really is. Just- I just wanted to on on Vincennes is um, there is um, the guy who went on to be the mentalist for like ten years. Oh yeah, uh, he he's got a really minor role in this film as a as a wannabe B movie actor. He comes in to Hollywood, Matt, dreams of being it. Yeah, the uh, Simon. Yeah, 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 Matt. Yeah, Matt Reynolds. Matt Reynolds I think. Yeah. yeah, I think he's yeah, a Aussie, then, isn't he? I could be wrong there, but he is. Yeah. He is an Australian, definitely. Is he being twelve swan? Should do. But Spacey, Spacey gets blood on his hands because, as part yeah. of one of their setups, he dies yeah. as a setup, um, as part of a, and, and, he, and it reels into a, um, um, a dark. It's, it's all one of these related pots to the gangland underworld. But um, Spacey can't handle the guilt of um, what he's done, and that that's his trigger then for he needs to have his. You know that was his damascene conversion, and he needs to come back to the light and 
he needs to correct the wrongs he's done. And um, so, yeah, it's it's just, it's just a really nice, again, nice art character arc. They go from one to the other. Uh, Matt, Matt Reynolds has the worst line in the film, in my opinion. What's that? We're talking about Fleur de Lis, and he, he almost looks straight at the camera and says, oh, yeah, um, oh, high-class yeah. call girls cut to, like, movie stars. It's the, it's just, if he hadn't said that, there's no, there's no, there's no next scene, because that's how, yeah. he, how Vincenzo gets us, you know... That's we you know yeah. it, tr- it triggers something in it, right? There's an investigation here. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and then you might as well just look. look I, dig him, I dig him. I dig. I dig. I dig Piers, but you know, I don't know what. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, he, he, he line, goes, this think... is the plot, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I think another interesting thing about that Vincent's performance as well. I totally agree with what you just said, Dan. But I like the fact that whilst what, what you said was true, and that was what sort of completed that switch, he'd already started to, if I recall correctly, he'd already started to make that journey a little bit because he actually felt enough guilt to go and try and stop it happening. And and I liked that. And then obviously once it, it failed and the guy had been killed, his guilt then went up uh, another level. But I also liked that, if, again, if I'm recalling it correctly, uh, the Sid Hutchins character, I think it was a, a, a throwaway line from him that sort of helped give him a, a push. He, he he said something like, you know, the the fifty dollars you've got to kill his career or to to ruin his life or something. And you see a, a look of of realization on his face where he realizes, yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm, you know, I think as as uh, Elroy said, selling his soul. And I just love that and love that character like like you both do. Um, what about um? Obviously, Lynn Bracken and Kim Bassinger's uh, performance and also her relationship with the two main characters of Bud White and Ed Exley. Dan, what, what did you think of the, that, that triangle between them? She is the, oh, the, the only female character of note in, in the film. She, uh, she actually won an Oscar for this. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 her performance was that good. I mean, and, and we said it was the first film she'd done for about eight years anyway. Um, but she... She plays prostitutes, but it's not just any prostitute because she's part of a stable of prostitutes who are in Hollywood uh, and they are all, and some of them have um, plastic surgery to help them look like film stars. But uh, the thing about what she says, she's meant to be Veronica Lake. Um, uh, but she, apparently the famous thing is she hasn't had any surgery to make herself look like Veronica Lake. It's just, um, you know, she's all she does is dyed her hair, I think she said, and the character says she was a brunette, um, and the rest is the same. But she, she, so she, she's got this very, very, she lives in a very, very nice part of LA. Her life is subsidised by a millionaire, Piers Patchett, who's David Strathairn character. And she's super glamorous, and she spends the whole film, basically, in her apartment, looking uber glam. Sat in a window. Um, was that? Always sat in a window. <laughs> yes. And she meets Bud White first right at the start of the film in the liquor store. And then it triggers off this event because she's in the back of a car with some, with, a, with a woman who's got um, a load of bandages on her, on her nose. Looks like she's been beat up. And obviously Bud thinks, um, uh, even with his, with, with his thing about women beaters, he goes over to investigate and he sees Patrick for the first time. He sees Lynn. And um, and then and, and, and that, that's, the, that's the way in. And then their relationship gradually grows um, from that initial meeting and they have they have a few other chance encounters to start with and then it just develops and, and in the end they actually see each other as a 
man and woman relationship rather than a prostitute client relationship. Um, and that's one of the things that the other people, all the, all the other characters in the film, especially Exley, can't get his head around that, um, it's not a, not a prostitute client yeah. relationship. And he's a thug, uh, she's beautiful. And he can't understand, yeah. he can't understand why one could be connected to the other. Yeah. But at the end of the day, she works, she works for Patchett and Pierce Patchett. And Pierce Patchett is one of the, is, is basically the guy bank rolls, um, a load of the, 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 the there's Mickey Cohen, who was the, the, the character who owns gangland operations in Los Angeles. And he's the one who's been put in jail. But Patchett is very much the other side of the coin. He, he's the shadowy operator with a lot of political influence and, and he's, a, and he's a millionaire. Um, and he, he's got a fingers on a lot of pies and he, when he does call in favors from, from uh, you know, from from Kim Bassinger, from time to time, and and the, well, there's a very very key thing where she sets up Exley um, on, on 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 orders of um, of Patchett, um, and it. But she, the way she does it, and she's completely believable yeah. um, in the role, as well as looking absolutely gorgeous the whole time. No, totally agree. Summed up really well there. What about yourself, Carl? What are your thoughts on on obviously Kim Bassinger's performance and and that whole triangle between the, the three characters. Well, in, in terms of Kim Basinger, she, she she moved from movie star to actor in this film for me because mm-hmm. um, I thought the other films she was in before this, she just basically just sort of just looked beautiful on basically fairly easy plots and doesn't really have to do much other than look like Kim Basinger. Um The the big line in the plot for me is when uh, I think she says it to Wexley about Bud White and she says um, he's the, he's the only man I've met that who doesn't tell me I look like Veronica Lake inside thirty seconds. And she, that's, I think that's a massive line because it's basically saying, like, you know, he's human. And he he looks, he sees through the whole veneer of, you know, people who basically just want to sleep with people who look like film stars. And it means something to her. I love the fact that she's always slightly damaged. She also, every single scene, there's a tiny thing where you can just tell behind her eyes that there's a little bit of damage going on. Obviously, she doesn't, she's doing something she doesn't want to do. Um, and she's always very, very fragile. Um, but at the same time, quite strong as well because obviously she's got to play off, you know, white against Exley. Until they, you know, unite forces, etc. Um, I think she's absolutely brilliant. I think it's probably the best thing she's ever done, to be honest. She did, she did eight mile, um, what, eleven years after this. Two thousand two, yeah. Like this. And it? I thought I, I didn't even recognise that her as Kim Basinger in, in Eight Mile. So I think you know, it's just a bit of a shame in some ways that she doesn't get any more sort of meaty acting roles. You know, when she first, you know, when she's in things like you know, was it nine and a half weeks she was in and stuff like that. Not really films. She was in a Bond film as well. Um, yeah, you know that sort oh, yeah. of thing. Can't Never say never again. Yeah. I think. Yeah. But you know, but she doesn't really get to show like you know just what a good actress she is, because um, I think she's really good in um, in Eight Mile, which I think is a pretty average film, but um, I think she stands out with that. But I think this is the best thing she ever did. She's completely believable, and after a while, you stop you start thinking of her as a character rather than that's Kim Basinger playing blah blah blah. Yeah, no, I think she's absolutely totally excellent. Totally, and she probably is the biggest totally star, isn't she, in the film? It was either her or Spacey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, she was more established than Spacey at that point, really. So. Yeah. Probably a big, big, bigger name for Colin Inches as well. I imagine, obviously, Spacey's obviously has got you know a lot more credibility and things than she had, particularly at that time. But she won yeah. the poster. She definitely won the <laughs> yeah, poster. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that 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 recognition, as you say. Um, but yeah, no, I totally agree with both your points about her performance, and uh, I love the fact that she, and I think this is what attracted her to it. She's she's extremely intelligent in it as well, you know. She she really she sees 
exactly what Bud is beyond, you know, that exterior. And she also knows exactly what Exley's like and, and how to play you him. You know, how to play him, yeah, and, and, and to and, and the verbal sparring with both of them from her is just fantastic and you know, just yeah, it just really elevates the film that you've got three three people at the top of the game there and, you know, all with, with different, you know, really strong contrasts in the characters. So now really enjoyed their performance. Obviously we've touched on some of these earlier on, but I'm just gonna look at, you know, some of the other maybe smaller roles but still significant. Obviously we've touched on them, the likes of Danny DeVito as Sid Hutchins, David Straffin as Piers Patchett and James Cromwell as Captain Dudley Smith. If there's any of them that we haven't touched on maybe that there's anything you wanna add or about them, if you could do I, that, that would be great. I just wanted to mention about James Cromwell, um, because uh, he as he's as as um Carl said he's he's fifth on the bill and he's absolutely marvellous yeah. in, in this because um, you just think at the start oh, he's, he's a slightly another cliche he's a slightly well-worn uh, near the end of his career police captain who you know he looks like he can't be asked with much um, but he his reveal is that you know he, he's got far more extracurricular activities mm-hmm. than you ever really thought because um, you think he's, you know, all the things you see all the way through the film where he's trying to keep out gangsters from Cleveland and Jersey and Chicago and whatever and they all come in, they're all coming in to try and assume the vac- vacuum by Mickey Cohen going to jail um, you think, oh well, he's doing his bit for this for Los Angeles there and he's uh, um, you know, getting these, driving these guys out of town um, but he's just, at the same time, he's just feathering his own nest, and um, you know that the whole thing about him, him, and Pierce Patchett and Sid Hutchins—they're the ones who work behind the scenes together or all the times. He's also got the best line in the film, and they've got the best scene. <laughs> and he's that Definitely. good that I swear to God, when I first saw this at the cinema, the very, very big scene which we all know we're talking about, yeah. um, when he turns around and shoots Vincennes, I swear to God, people behind me in the cinema went, "Oh." <laughs> like you know everything just sort of collapsed into place there oh it's him right and then you know you just work out exactly what's going on from there um, yeah I love the fact that, he, that he's boiling milk in that scene as well I don't know why it's just such, a, such an ordinary <laughs> thing to do he's just you know I'm just going to boil some milk here I'm going to I'm going to shoot you obviously but you know I'm going to boil some milk first and of course the, the big line in the film is do you have a valediction boyo the way he leans into his face as he says it as well is so evil yeah. yeah, and he's fantastic. I know you like him, Joe, as well, because he's been in some of your favourite films of all time. I, I had a look at his, um, his filmography. We'll <laughs> have Revenge of the yeah. Nerds 2. He's oh, in that. Oh, yeah, classic. I don't think it lived up to the heights of the first one, but still a classic all the same. He's in Babe, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Pig in the City. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just state for the record, these are my favourites. Top, top <laughs> ten, but they're not my favourites. They're close. The, re- the reason I say this, Dan, is I, I, the first ever podcast we did, um, <laughs> me, uh, me, Sash, um, Joe, uh, we did Terminator 2, and I was talking about how brilliant um, Brighton Rock is, and then, then at one point Joe started talking about how great Gremlins 2 was. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't even remember if that's true. I'm not going to deny it because if it's not true. It was probably something worse than Gremlins 2. So I, you, you probably... mentioned a few. Big fan of the yeah. Goonies. Remember that? Oh, I am. Uh, guilty. Guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. But it's interesting you mentioned Babe, though, because, you know, obviously in that, I, I genuinely haven't seen it. I've just seen bits of it. But he's like the kindly farmer. 
Yeah. And to yeah. go from, from that to this ruthless, you know, obviously murderer, it, it, it's, you, you would never have guessed, you know, and it's... Well, because it, he, by the end, he even murders his own, the people he was in cahoots yeah, with, yeah. the main guys, he yeah. even bumps them off. True, true. so it, it, the, what a range that is to go to go from that, and it's... You, it's don't, you, don't, you don't expect it at all, do you? It, it, is, no, it is such no. a big reveal that the last person you think of, because you're trying to work out all the way through, like, what is the connecting thing here? Who, someone's corrupt, who is it? And I, I wouldn't have gone anywhere near him for that. Yeah, no, totally. I, I think that's a good place to to maybe have a short break. So uh, we'll be back after these few words. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to the Anfield Index podcast channel. I'm now going to look at some of the the more memorable scenes from the film. Obviously, there's so many memorable films, so we won't be able to cover them all, sadly. But we'll, we'll just look at some of the the key scenes, really. So the first one I'd like to look at with you both is um, the scene after the police cell block beating, where you know the chief. Chief of Police has the meetings with Bud White, Ed Exley and Jack Vincennes. What what were your thoughts on, on that scene, Carl? It, it, it's just re- redefining the characters, isn't it? One's going to stand um, alongside his, his thuggish mate because it's the sort of man he is. He, he's, a, he's a company loyal man to his fellow police officers. One's ambition, and he'll do anything. He'll shop as many people as he wants. And Vincennes will think about it uh, and still just be popular, even though he's going to give everyone up and they don't mind. It just sort of solidifies their characters, I think. I think that I think I just I think it's a it's a really sort of way of just cementing when anchoring the characters that we know where they are in the film. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. What about yourself, Dan? Yeah, it's just like really weird because the denouement of that scene, you think, well, White gets um, suspended, and you think, shit, it's only twenty minutes in. <laughs> he's yeah. just, he's been suspended, <laughs> and he's, he's been suspended, and then you think it's all about Exley because you think, okay, he's the one; he's going to be promoted. He's gone to detective bureau, the record youngest age, whatever, for being a member of the detective age bureau. 30. Yeah, and um, and you think it's all about that, and it's it's really good because you you, you can you can already get these expectations, but then the, the film so this constantly changes your 
um, what you've learned two scenes ago, three scenes ago, it'll, it'll switch it on its head, you know, just down the line, just down the, uh, you know, 15 minutes later. But um, the other thing was about that scene is that um, you've got the main Chile police chief on doing the interviews and he's flanked by Dudley Smith, but also by Ellis Lowe, the district yeah. attorney, who turns out to be another minor character who's intrinsically linked throughout the film. And I know we're not going to talk about this one, but the, the good cop, bad cop scene where they, where Exley and White go to, Ellis Lowe's is just unbelievable. Again, that's another marvellous Call scene. him off. I don't know how to. I love that <laughs> yeah. line. And he literally gets his head flushed down the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and it, it, it's funny, I, I, as a viewer, you know, we're thinking quite similar to the DA for that scene because we're thinking, yeah, we've we've seen it all before, this good cop, bad cop thing, but, but we hadn't seen it all before. You know, it, it took us by surprise. We knew, obviously, we knew Bud White could, could, could really rough someone up but even for Bud White you know that took it to the next level and yeah no it, it's him lying on the floor shivering oh yeah at the end and gibbering and like, yeah, which I think is a pretty human thing to do I'd probably do the same thing myself I imagine it's been dangled out of a oh, 10 story 10 yeah. story window yeah I think uh, I think anyone would end up like that after that and a minute, um, a minute earlier he was clipping his nose hairs I love oh, the fact he's doing his nose hairs because he's got a press conference or something well that that's another <laughs> Great points as well. Like you mentioned that nearly, you mentioned, uh, you know, cooking the milk and things. It's like those little moments add something. You know, that yeah. sort of arrogance of him that he just thinks, yeah, you know, I, you know, I'm all right. Sort of, you know, I don't. I'm the god of the city. I'll do what I want. Yeah, exactly. Or like in that other moment with the milk with the Dudley Smith. That sort of. It's like a wholesome moment, and then the next mm. minute he's doing something completely the opposite of that so it's got so many little moments that just elevate it all uh, now going to look at a, another you know really memorable scene from it it's the scene where um, Exley and Vincennes help to capture the night owl shooting suspects and in particular Exley's interrogation uh, what were your thoughts on, on those scenes Dan? The, on the on the Exley and Vincennes where they locate the suspects in the first place um it's really good because there's, the whole thing's a set up by Smith. Um, he sends his own guys out to act to the the, 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 whole, the whole force is basically called in to locate um, a certain type of car, a Mercury Maroon Coupe, I think it is. Coupe. Yeah, the way it says Coupe. And, uh, Coupe, yeah. And, and there's about 20 of them around the city, and they, 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 they go around these little teams. And the whole thing is Smith's meant to be sending his guys to do to, to make the collar and make the arrest and do the plant, but um, Vincennes uses his contacts to if you like jump the queue and it's almost like they they get to the actual place far quicker than anybody else would have expected and so they're ahead of the game yeah. so they sort of interrupt the collar process don't they and yeah. um, and it, that that was like an unintended thing from from Dudley Smith's perspective he didn't he didn't plan for it to go like that um so that that I really I really like that aspect of it as well but you, the thing is at the time you don't you don't realize that until like about an hour later but the, the 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 best bit though is is the actual interrogation scene where they're in the three suspects they've got are in a different police interview room and they're all we've got adjoining doors but they've got um, sound systems between the, the the three rooms and sometimes you can and the way Exley um, controls the sound going from one room so you can hear snippets of conversations but not whole conversations into the other rooms to, and it, it, it is as to quote Dudley Smith it's it's masterful. Yeah. Um, the way the way that uh, actually interviews the guys without using any violence at all and just manipulates them, he, he derives information about what what their situation was 
and, and, and gets them to completely confess. This, to, this one's to ready to go, he says. I love yeah, that. This one's ready on to go. We can just see his piss himself. Oh. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, um, it just shows you actually strength, his extreme intelligence, his extreme intuition as a policeman and uh, his ability to think on his feet. Marvellous. No, I couldn't agree more. And, and that confidence as well, he never has any doubt. You know, other people, I think even Vincennes underestimates him, but he never has any doubt. And I also like the thing, they don't often show this in films, but again, the film of this quality does it. It showed you him reading the notes beforehand. He weren't just winging it. He was taking on board all the relevant information to yeah. work out how best to beat these, to, to break these men. And obviously the way he did it, as you said, was masterful. When to put you the got any on. Fo- oh, yeah. Have you got any thoughts on, on that scene, Carl? Um, this film is so rich that I've forgotten about it. And it's my, one of my favourite <laughs> scenes in the film by a mile. Because obviously it's got Ed doing the impo- it's got um, Bud White doing the impossible thing with the chair um, which, which I really really like that and I like the fact that when he's moving between the two rooms all, all the policemen are just standing there just laughing just thinking oh god you're good you're, they're, they're really enjoying the performance of it all um, and, um, and and full credit to, to you know to, to, to the lads who played the um, who played the suspects so the one who says um, um, she don't die so I don't die and just kept repeating it all the time he, he just looks yeah. petrified so scared and it's so realistic the way he does it before Bud comes over and, and does his own sort of Russian roulette but, but, but yeah, yeah, oh God, yeah I forgot about that God yeah that, that's nice um, it's also got a very strange line it's something like um, they called him sugar because he gave it up so sweet the line I think always jars when I'm <laughs> I find that really strange line, to be honest. And, and the way he delivers it as well, there's something yeah. about it, isn't it? The most uncomfortable yeah. line in the film. You can see him almost like sort of like frowning as he says it. I don't know what, what, I don't know what that means at yeah, all. Yeah, he's, he's talking jive. You've got actually talking <laughs> jive. <laughs> With his perfectly clean specs on. Oh, yeah, I'm one of the lads, mate. Yeah, definitely. And no, I, think he, he, I think again with that, you know, that the high level of intelligence he's got, he knows that saying it in that way will anger the guy even more, you know, will annoy him even more. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, he stamps, just... Does he stamp his feet, the one as well, when he's looking furious? <laughs> but look, he's like jerking his head from side to side, like, no, no. That, I'm sure oh. he's stamping his feet, may not be. Yeah. yeah. Memory. yeah. Uh, I think you may be right there. Yeah. I'm now going to look at, you know, uh, you know, an iconic scene, and you mentioned it earlier on, so I'll come to you first, Carl, the, the scene where actually comes to Jack for help and, you know, tells him that story of Rolo Tomasi. It's 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 brilliant. I remember when it when it came out, I was working for uh ninety seven, I was working for The Guardian. Um and I think about two or three of my mates at the time answered the phone by saying, Rolo Tomasi, the Guardian newspaper can help you. <laughs> um it, it's like it's like Kaiser Sose, it's just the perfect um yeah. And the spacey course, yeah. Um, it's it's just it's just a fantastic name, and I just love the idea of, of, of personifying something. Um, you know, that's why he's a policeman because because of Roland Tomasi, um, and it's such a clever way of of, um, uh, of of the way James Cromwell, so you know, says you know we're looking, we've got a new suspects, etc. It's just a brilliant way of sort of a, a dead man talking to a live man. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. absolutely brilliant, and the writing in that is just absolutely perfect. Because when you see it for the first time, you, you're, you're almost jumping up and down in your chair, thinking that's just so good yeah, that he's done that. You know, he's basically saying he killed me, everyone. It's him. Oh, it's, that's it absolutely a, fantastic. 
it's it's you're right. It's it's masterful. It's masterful. Yeah. What about what about yourself, Dan? Like, you the, only thing I, the only thing I would add on that is it's it's, it's um, very like uh, Spider-Man uh, with Spider-Man's grandpa getting killed and by the um, street hooligan, and you know he dies. It's the same idea that his dad dies and is the guy who gets away with it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the, it's the same. Um, but um, the only thing I'd add is that um, when. Ken Spacey has to do his bit about why did he become a cop and it just the look on his face when he just goes so blank and I can't remember. Oh, <laughs> I, yeah, oh yeah, it's uh, and he makes you realise the contrast between the two. The veneer drops, doesn't it? It's, 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 yes. it's not. It might be a nice jacket, but there's a worried man in there. Yeah. Yes. And it, and it's it, it it's so sad because obviously you've seen you've seen him at the you know the other end of the scale where he appears to have so much and to be so happy on the surface surface and then you see that and you see you know the change gradually come across his face you know and it it, it is it's so sad i think uh, J- mm. james elroy said that's the most self-loathing he's ever seen on an actor's face in a film and you know it'd be hard to disagree it's uh, just a fantastic moment and, and it's so well done that if you did if you didn't know it and you were in that and you'd say were you in that 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 room you wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to detect it. Mm-hmm. He hides yeah. it that well, but, you know, because we know. Yeah. So, you know, the dramatic irony of it all. Yeah, no, t- totally. And I think it it's also good as well because, obviously, it may just be genuine, but I think it also was another example of Exley's intelligence earlier on. He knew exactly the button to press with Jack about the cop, you know, losing the cop show in yeah. the hearing and here again. I think he must sense something or maybe he's just throwing something out there. But that question, it pressed exactly the right button to get Jack to help him. You know, I suppose he just knows every cop must start initially with with the right intentions. And obviously yeah. somewhere along the line it went wrong. But no, just, just a fantastic scene, really is. I'm now going to look at um, another fantastic scene and another iconic scene obviously we've touched on it earlier it is the scene where Vincennes goes to meet Captain Dudley Smith and meets with his end what were your thoughts on that one Dan? The background to this one is that Vincennes has rediscovered his conscience and then he's decided to actually become a detective again mm-hmm. and he'd done some old school detective work to, what they're trying to do is they're trying to piece together the various strands they've got from so from Vincennes' case from Exley's case and all the characters have got tiny minor characters, and they're trying to piece it all together. And he goes into, almost right, down into the police archives to try and find out, and he comes up with a connection between Buzz Meeks, Dick Stensland, and uh, Captain W. Smith. And he literally has to go, I think he tracks back the daily report books from the basement. Um, the problem is, though, is he can't get in touch with Exley, because Exley's out um, nailing Kim Bassinger at this time. <laughs> so he, and there's no mobile phone. So he, he goes round to, um, it's, it's like, pushing midnight and he goes to Smith's house, um, James Cromwell's house. And then, and then James Cromwell comes to the door in his dressing gown. And then he, he wants to ask him about the old days and the things, what used to happen with him and Stensland and Buzz Meeks and, and whatever. And then, and then he's telling him the story. And obviously James Cromwell knows that, hang on, this is all too, you find out far too much information here. I don't want you to know all this kind of stuff. And then he asks him, uh, Smith, uh, James Cromwell asks him, what does Exley think of this? And he says, I haven't had a chance to tell him. And then it's bang. Good, I can shoot you then, yeah. Yeah. And 
at that point, this is def- I definitely remember this at the time when I first time I saw it. I literally just stood up and went, "Fuck, yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> you, what, fuck, oh. you can't kill it." And you think, "What the fuck?" Um, at that moment, because he's like, you can't. He's like the biggest, the biggest move actor in the film, anyway. And then you know, in such an, and you think, "Shit." <laughs> Genuinely, uh, I, I, and it's astounding. One of the most astound, astounding moments I can ever recall watching a film. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. What, you, you, it's a great death face as well, isn't it? The little smile. Yeah. yeah, and then he traps him when he's dying breath. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost like he he goads him, doesn't he? he goads him. Yeah, I say it's line. evil. It's evil the way with the way he yeah. puts his face right next to him. Yeah, and says it. it I'm not quite sure how he got rid of the body. I know, I know I shouldn't think about things like this, but. I I just but, think with but, someone at that level and that intelligence and ruthlessness, he'd he'd always have a way. Yeah. yeah what, what, what are the things I also like then is the follow-on scene when they cut to the police office the next day with the whole force gathered and then he's and, and uh, Dudley Smith uh, announcing we must find um, the killers of Jack Vincennes um, and then he says forensics have indicated the man was shot about one a.m. and the ball the body was found in um, so and so place. Preliminary investigations indicate the body was moved, <laughs> and he's talking to the whole force from my kitchen <laughs> to the, uh, <laughs> there's a dressing gown involved <laughs> and some milk. Some milk. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but, he's just like you think it's you, cold-hearted. Bastard. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah totally as ruthless as it gets. Did you have any thoughts uh, that you hadn't mentioned on that scene at all, Carl? It's it's the best scene in the film. It's just, it's just the best scene in the football. I watched it about a month ago, and I still loved it. I loved every single second. Even, even just the way James Cromwell looks at him as he opens, looks at him as he opens the door. It's just beautiful because when you watch it the second time, you just see, you just see him thinking, oh, "I don't, I don't like where this is going." But, yeah, he's okay. always calculating, isn't he? Always. But he's got a gun in his dressing gown pocket, which is an unusual approach for the nightwear. <laughs> yeah. Although <laughs> one of the line which is fantastic when he opens it when he starts telling him the story he says and he's don't you be going trying to do the right thing Jack oh. you haven't had enough practice yeah he, oh he's got a, lo- a lot of lines like that you know real brilliant lines and so well delivered no, he's also just, got the um, uh, which I've just remembered that the, one of the last lines in the film where he said when he's when they're in the you know the uh, at the big shootout at the end where he, where he says to actually hold up your badge so they can tell you're a policeman. That's a brilliant yeah. line. That's just so. I've won, and I'm just gonna have a little dig at you. Even I've won, I won again. It's just it, that's a lovely line. That, and of course, it sparks something in Exley where he just thinks, okay, well, I'm a policeman, therefore I will shoot you in the back because that's what you've always said you should do. Yeah, it, it pushes him to do, as you say, yeah. what, what he'd never done before and didn't want to do. So with his little lilting voice. Yeah, oh, his no. accent's just, extraordinary, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Um, obviously. Coming to the end now, and obviously we've covered so much, and there's so much more I'd love to have covered. So, just is there anything maybe that we've missed? Any scenes, characters, moments? Lovely little that you tiny things. Anything um, like that, Carl? I was going to say I've, I've got loads. Of, um, so I'll just sort of reel them off. Really, <laughs> I like the um, I've forgotten the name now. The woman who gets killed, um, and and her mother identifies it. Her mother's fantastic. Oh, Susan yeah. Leffitz. Yes. Yeah. Um, and Another thing which always makes me jump is when uh, when he finds Beeks' body under the house and the rat jumps out of his out, out of the body bag thing. Oh yeah, yeah. That's absolutely still he, he, he doesn't need to put that in, but it just looks brilliant the way he does it, and you know and the smell of it all. 
Um, Buzz Meeks is great because he's like Dick Stensland, but just also slightly older. Um, the whole Pierce Pageant um, death scene where he's had his nails ripped out, um, and he's you know he's been tortured, and it's just everything really, it's just absolutely everything. It's but managed to write a suicide note. Yeah, yeah, and even the very last scene where where um, um, Lynn and um, Bud White walk away, sort of arm in arm. Oh yeah, he's got his arm around, doesn't he? I really like that and sort of like you know. She just comes in looking like a film star, doesn't she? Yeah. The yellow dress and the, and the sunglasses and the hair up, and you thinking, yeah, that looks. That's such a great look. That for yeah. Look. I totally agree. And what about yourself, Dan? Is there any that we've missed that maybe? I think the only. Th- I think. I think the the only one I um would add to that is that um after the dinner mountains the scene where then Exley himself is the only survivor because White's just I know you're going yeah. to say yeah. Yeah, and then he goes. They go to the booth, and he gives the um, his his version of events of, and he he doesn't try to sugarcoat anything. He just try, he just basically lays it online the brutal truth of what has happened, and then and he ends up by saying, "Before I shot him at the Victory Motel," and um and then it's like everybody else in the room is like jaws hit the floor. That what the actual fuck yeah. <laughs> you, have you just told us? Um, and but uh, he, he, they, cause, and this is the thing that um, uh, he was always told he wouldn't do. He wouldn't shoot a policeman in the back. Yeah. He knew to be guilty, and he did it. And that was his complete conversion to you know. I uh, thought you were going to mention you, the um, uh, the bit where he's smiling and he says um, the, the hero. And he says, "Yeah, what, what you're smiling at is a hero." And there's no way he could have possibly heard that, sir. <laughs> he looks around there and thinking, "Okay, there's been a leak somewhere there." No, he wasn't. Yeah. He just knew. Yeah. He was. He was just so calculating. Knew exactly how you were going to play it. Yeah. But yeah, it's yeah, it's it's, it's right to the end. It's uh, there's, there's, there isn't really a weak point. I don't think in the in the entire film. Apart from that, Matt Reynolds line. <laughs> yeah, apart. From, I can figure that. Yeah, one line. yeah, yeah. It's one of them. I think we we that and you know Russell Crowe and things. But the the fact that these things stand, you know, Russell Crowe with the chair, these things stand out at all. I think. Tells you how good it is, you know, because the 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 real minor parts of the film, and you know, yeah. you'd struggle to say anything else. And normally, you know, even great films normally have quite a few things you can point to, or maybe oh, I don't mind the chair thing at all. I love it. I absolutely love yeah. it. Uh, yeah, it gets you. It helps. Uh, it. it does. It does because it just conveys that strength and that anger, and, yeah. uh, as Dan said, and you just go with it because it's it's been set up so well. You're thinking so about well. his mum. Yeah. It's just a way of shouting. He's thinking about his mum. Everyone. Yeah, no, totally agree. I think that's a perfect place to, to end it. I've really enjoyed hearing both your thoughts. Um, thanks to you both for coming on. Um, have either of you got anything you'd want to plug or want to let people know where they can find more of your thoughts or work? Yeah, I'll start with you, please, Carl. Um, <laughs> I do this every time I want. I've got two books. I've got a novel called "And What Do You Do." <laughs> um, which is ridiculously low priced on Amazon at the moment, and the book I've written with uh, two pounds, everyone, uh, um, and the book I, I wrote, um, I wrote with Sasha Nakrani called "We're Everywhere Us," which is the um, about the 2014-15 season, but isn't about football; it's about fans, just oh, as well crazy. given that season. I'd encourage any anybody listening to check check those out, and yourself, Dan. I have got nothing to plug at this moment in time, um, but people can find me on, if they like my opinions on things, they can find me on Twitter at Dan Kennett. Two N's, two T's. That's great. Uh, once again, thanks to you both. Uh, really enjoyed hearing your thoughts. Thanks to everybody who's listened, and if anybody wants to share any feedback, 
with me. I'm on Twitter at Joe Simpson 79 or at AI Movie Night. Thanks once again. Have you a valediction, boyo? on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.